Hello and happy Mother's Day to all of the mothers in our church body. And happy Mother's Day to all the mother figures, those of you who are influencing the next generation, praying for those coming behind you. And I just want to say I am grateful for the 50% of our church represented on this day, for all of the women who make Pennington AG great and are supporting the mission of leading people to Jesus. Even kind of preparing this sermon and thinking about today, I was reminded of what the Apostle Paul, an early church leader, says to a young pastor, calling him to put on the faith that his mother and his grandmother prayed over him. I can so relate to that in my own life for the faith of my mother, Sharon, who prayed over me, for the faith of my father's mother, Gloria, that prayed over me and prayed over our family, as well as so many of the women of this church body, generations and generations of generations before me that have prayed for me, have prayed for our church body, and have prayed for our mission. To that end, today I'm going to be preaching a special one-off sermon about the importance of women in Scripture and in the church body itself. And I'm calling today's sermon, Women, Rise Up. Rise up to the calling that God has put on your life. Rise up to lead in the church that he has called you into. I want to begin by giving a small example of this. Beth Moore is a popular teacher, did a lot of women's Bible studies. And over the last year, she's become a bit of a personal hero for me. Not even just Beth Moore and the weight of all of this on her shoulders, but even what the discussion around her has meant in this last year. If you don't follow her on Twitter, I encourage you to. She is both witty, humorous, incredibly devout, and compassionate in how she talks about life, faith, Jesus, and her calling to be a woman in ministry. All of this broke a little over two years ago when an older pastor was asked in an interview whether or not he supported Beth Moore. He's from a tradition that doesn't believe in women leading in ministry. I disagree. And his response was to Beth Moore, just two words, go home. Yikes. I know. I feel the same way you do at that response. Beth Moore responded with compassion and grace. This is what she said on her Twitter in response. I did not surrender to the calling of a man when I was 18 years old. I surrendered to a calling of God. It never occurred to me for a second to not fulfill it. I will follow Jesus and Jesus alone all the way home. And I will see his beautiful face and proclaim, worthy is the lamb. If you follow Beth Moore, you know her journey has been inside of a church that didn't believe in her to be a lead pastor or to lead men in it. And just this year, she left her denomination and left her publishers. And there's been a whole storm of wind and opinions around her ministry, women in ministry, where they fit, how this works, how we read scripture. And it was a deep reminder to me that while the church has made a ton of progress and while the kingdom of God is fully inclusive of race, gender, economics, ethnicity, there's still a lot of work to be done. And watching the way people in the church and church leaders have treated one woman who feels called to preach about her Savior and teach about the scriptures that reveal him has told me there's still a lot of preaching, there's still a lot of teaching, there's still a lot of confession and grace needs to be done in the church for us to walk forward as God has called us into. And so today, I simply want to celebrate scripturally, celebrate biblically the women of our church called into ministry, the women of our church called to be co-heirs with Christ. And I want to celebrate you and look at how scripture reveals God's calling and power and influence in your life. 
Rise up to the call that God has put on your life. Rise up to lead in his church. We need the voices and influence of healthy, empowered women to make an impact on our world for the common good. I want us to look at scripture and some of these women who have come before and how God has led them and called them to influence this world. We're going to look all the way back in the Old Testament, not normally where you look for these examples. We're going to pull out a few. There's Hagar. Hagar is a byline of the story of Abraham and Sarai. Hagar is their maidservant that they force to carry a child for them when they don't trust God's call and ministry. She, out of her own suffering and struggle, leaves down to the south of Israel, expecting to die with her young child in the desert. But God shows grace on her and calls her to come back and graciously serve her masters that have mistreated her. And he promises her that he will take care of her and her young son. She, in this moment, coins the term El Roy, which we use now today as, you are the God who sees me, Genesis 16, 13. There's Miriam, the third person in command of the kingdom of Israel during the Exodus as they leave Egypt. She's a prophetess and a worshiper who works alongside of Aaron and Moses and was likely the most influential woman among God's people during the days of the Exodus. She even says a famous prayer and song after the parting of the Red Sea and she leads God's people. There's Deborah, the judge who is both strong and wise, a warrior and a leader of God's people. And she leads God's people to rise up against their oppressors in Judges chapter 4 and chapter 5. There's Esther, a queen who advocates for God's people and her people to protect and save them from a near genocide. There's an entire book about her, the book of Esther. And then Hannah, the mother of the prophet Samuel, who prays for a family and prays for a child and is the precursor to the prayer of Mary in Luke that we see as Mary's Magnificat. Hannah has a version of it praying for God's power over those who abuse his people. We then move into the New Testament and we'll spend some deep time on people like Mary, the mother of Jesus, Mary uh, of Mary and Martha, Lydia and Priscilla. And as we talk about women in the church, we need to understand that historically, the deck has been stacked against women in the church and women historically. It has favored men with power and influence. And the Bible that we read is written at a particular time and God uses a particular culture to speak about his plans and his vision through Jesus. And this is why even as we read the Old Testament, we have to pick out women because the main story is about men and God leading through men. And as we read the Old Testament, as we read about the culture where God is bringing about mercy and moving pieces to bring about Jesus Christ, we read the Old Testament and its power and we say to it, This is not a celebration of how men lead and abuse, but this is a critique of human weakness as men and kings abuse the people under them. This is not a celebration. It is a critique to bring about grace and mercy through Jesus Christ. But let's look at the Old Testament again. Let's look at Genesis chapter 2. In Genesis chapter 2, God says it is not good for man to be alone. And so he puts him into a deep slumber. And in our English translations of the Bible, it says God pulled a rib out of Adam in order to create woman. 
That translation itself makes it feel like women are a subset of men, or a piece out of a man a woman is made. When the Hebrew word is so much closer to God creates human, God creates Adam, and then he splits Adam into male and female, so that male and female can now come together in mutual self-sacrificing love in order to be one again. And in this, woman is not a subset of man, but is the other half of man, of co-heirs and co-equal to be used in God's kingdom and purposes. As we move into the New Testament, we see that the story of Jesus begins as the story of a young woman, ends with the story of several women sharing about Jesus Christ. And all throughout the Gospels, all four accounts, we see story after story of Jesus Christ finding women, elevating them, healing them, and calling them along with him. Let's look at how Jesus calls women to rise up. The Gospel writers tell a story of a woman who has been subject to bleeding for 12 years. In the Old Testament cultural law, this means for 12 years, she has lived in isolation and shame. She's been perpetually unclean for 12 years. It says she has an issue of bleeding. It's most likely a complication around her menstruation. And so she can never be in the temple. She can never be touched by others. And so for over a decade, she has suffered and struggled. She's broke, she's broken, and she's desperate. She takes a risk to come and find Jesus, to meet with Jesus, to touch Jesus, knowing she's violating cultural principles, knowing she's putting her own life at risk and at danger, knowing she's possibly bringing shame to Jesus, this great rabbi and teacher, and yet she climbs through the crowd, she presses in to touch Jesus to receive healing. The story goes like this in Luke chapter eight, beginning in verse 42. As Jesus went with them, he was surrounded by the crowds. A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding, and she could find no cure. Coming up behind Jesus, she touched the fringe of his robe. Immediately, the bleeding stopped. If you know anything about someone who has been shamed and and is weak and is desperate, when they move into that moment, they want to move back out of that moment. It's the person who comes to church intentionally late and then leaves intentionally early. They don't want fanfare or a crowd, but Jesus recognizes that she's touched him, draws attention to her, and calls her. He says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. He sees this woman that no one has seen for a decade, who has lived in the margins, and Jesus says to her, as a woman, with a particular struggle of a woman, he says, I see you where you are, and I raise you up to be back in the status of my kingdom. She was no longer an outcast. She was healed, and she was whole. Instead of being defined by her condition now, her faith was affirmed by Jesus. She was restored to her place in the community by Jesus. This story continues on. Jesus then continues to the mission he was about to do, goes to the home of a man named Jairus, whose daughter was sick, and they told Jesus, the sickness has now ended in death. Jesus says, I'm going anyway. She's not dead, she's just asleep. And Jesus goes to the woman's room, the young girl's room, and he says in a loud voice, Talith Akum, 
It means, little girl, I say to you, get up, rise. Luke chapter 8, verse 54. Women, get up. Women, rise up. Take your place as members and leaders in the kingdom of God. Jesus, all throughout the Gospels, does not deal with women from a safe space, a distance, or treat them as emotional, weaker, less capable. He sees them, he embraces them, and he empowers them as they are, made in God's image and called according to his purposes. A Samaritan woman who was unclean by her ethnicity and unclean by her behavior, he sees her in isolation, draws her in for a close theological debate, respects her, and calls her to greater truth in John 4. When Mary, the other half of the famous duo of Mary and Martha, is disobedient and not washing the dishes, she sits at the feet of Jesus and her sister says, the other women are with me cleaning dishes. Why is Mary doing what the men do by sitting at the feet of the teacher? Mary is doing what no woman was allowed to do, and that's sit at the foot of the rabbi and learn. She was supposed to be cleaning the dishes, but instead she sits at Jesus' feet. And this is how Jesus responds. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Luke chapter 10, verse 42. In fact, Luke 8 itself begins with several verses about important women following Jesus and called to be his disciples. Luke chapter 8 verses 1 through 3 read like this. Soon afterward, Jesus began a tour of the nearby towns and villages, preaching and announcing the good news about the kingdom of God. He took his 12 disciples with him, along with some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Among them were Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. Joanna, the wife of Cuzza, Herod's business manager, Susanna, and many others who were contributing from their own resources to support Jesus and his disciples. These women had been the financial backers of Jesus' ministry. They're the ones with the resources. They're the ones paying the bills. They're the ones feeding the disciples. They are also evangelists, sharing about what Jesus has done in their life and about what he's teaching. And as the passage implies, they are disciples in the same way as the more famous 12. Then the resurrection of Jesus, as finished in each of the Gospels, has women as the first people to experience the resurrection and the first people entrusted with the story of Jesus Christ alive and conquering. As Dorothy Sayers says, perhaps it is no wonder that the women were first at the cradle and last at the cross. They had never known a man like this man. There has never been such another. A man who values the women in his life, who lifts them up and honors them and empowers them and treats them as equals. There's women with Jesus as he is being born. There's women with Jesus on the cross as he dies. And there's women celebrating his resurrection and sharing the story of his new life. A man in Jesus Christ who elevated the status of every human being he encountered elevates women as co-image bearers with God and people, fearfully and wonderfully made. For women, this means at the time and today, you are called to rise up and lead in the kingdom of God 
lead in the church of Jesus Christ. Lead in sharing and celebrating and telling the good news of Christ Jesus. So that's Old Testament, women involved and called. That's the gospel accounts around Jesus' life. And then it continues into the early church. We see this in the rest of the New Testament as well. The church follows Jesus' example of elevating and valuing and celebrating the women among them. In Acts chapter 16, we hear the story of a woman named Lydia, who was a wealthy merchant in Philippi. She became one of Paul's main financial backers and housed the first meetings of the house church in Philippi. It's likely the letter of Philippians was read out loud in Lydia's home. She was a financial supporter, an evangelist in her own right, and a leader in the church. In Acts chapter 16, verses 11 through 15. In 2 Timothy, we hear about the influence of Eunice and Lois the grandmother and mother of a young pastor who taught him how to pray and taught him how to be a man of faith and then led in the church he was a pastor of. There were prominent church leaders like Priscilla who taught Apollos proper theology when he was passionate but undisciplined in Acts chapter 18 verses 22 through 24. And there was Phoebe, a deacon in the local church and a leader in the church in Rome, as Paul writes in Romans 16, 1 through 2. And most of church historians believe the early church was predominantly led by women. And even still today, the percentage of women in the church outruns the percentage of men. And why not? In a movement of the kingdom of God come that tears down every boundary line that divides and elevates. A gospel message of equality and the removal of divisions, whether they are gender, ethnicity, or economics, is captivating to people who those boundaries have been used against. And the church of Jesus Christ tears them down and elevates the women of our church movement. In the pages of scripture, In the early church, women were called to break down all cultural boundaries and share the gospel message of the powerful, loving Savior, Jesus Christ. My paraphrase of John 3.16. The message that God so loved all of us in his created world that he returned to us in his son, Jesus Christ, that whoever follows him and believes in him would rise up to the fullness of life in this world and in the next. God trusted women to be the standard bearers for him. Jesus today is still on the move, is still challenging our power structures and still challenging our culture. And while we celebrate how the gospel of Jesus Christ have broken down barriers and lines, there's still much work to be done. And even as we open, sharing about the journey of one woman, Beth Moore, even in the last year, what she has gone through, as much as it is a celebration of what God is doing in her life, it's still a light shining on the church that there is work for us to do, to fight to be the united church of Christ Jesus. And so I want to say to all the women watching this, you have a life-changing, culture-shaping, heaven-touching-earth type of influence. You have a commission to fulfill in sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ and leading and caring for his church. Women, you are crucial to the mission of the church 
and your value can be seen in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, from the beginning of the church till modern day. You are called to preach. You are called to plant churches. You are called to the mission field. You are called to generosity and leadership in Christ's church. We have made a lot of progress as a church. And many historians and theologians argue that it is the kingdom of God message from the Exodus through to Jesus and the modern church that has moved to bring equality and has moved to bring women into the forefront of our culture and life. The kingdom of God has always been counter-cultural formation. And as we seek the kingdom of God to come into this fallen earth, I am praying that the church can be a place that celebrates and empowers our women while recognizing that we still have a lot of work to do. On this Mother's Day, I want to celebrate the work that God has done through the women of our church historically and still today. I want to celebrate all the women serving in leadership roles from our church stage, in board roles, in staffing roles, in prayer influence roles, in small group leadership roles, called into missions, sharing the gospel in your neighborhood, leading and discipling others and the next generation. You are valuable and empowered to rise up and lead this church. May we lead and walk alongside of each other, side by side, leading people to Jesus Christ. I want to celebrate you and I'm grateful for all the women of our church. If you'll allow me just to pray a prayer of blessing over you today on this Mother's Day as we record this. Lord, I thank you for the women of this church. I thank you for those women who have led before me, who have prayed for me, who have given me their example of faithful life and living. Lord, I thank you for the example of women who have broken down barriers and have stood up for the gospel of Jesus Christ and have stood up against those who use power to control and have laid down their lives, metaphorically and literally, that the gospel will go forward. Lord, I pray that we as a church, Pennington AG as a church, and your church as a whole, can be a place that lifts up and empowers women to lead in your kingdom. And God, we pray and look forward to the day, as Paul writes, Lord, where there is neither male nor female, slave nor free, Jew nor Gentile, ethnicity and all of those barriers broken down at the foot of the cross where we are all made one in Christ Jesus by your spirit. I thank you, Lord, that you have made us a diversity of body and pray your blessing and joy celebrating in this day. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. I invite you to join me next week as we finish out our series on Reclaiming Revival, and I pray that you have a glorious and happy Mother's Day. Thank you for joining me.